I begin this morning with the story of a Sunday school teacher who was telling the story of the Good Samaritan to her class of three, four, and five-year-old students. She was making this very familiar story as vivid as possible uh, to try to keep the attention of the children who were with her. She perhaps uh, extrapolated and exaggerated some of the points of the sermon, uh, of the story of the Good Samaritan. And to bring it to a close, to bring application to the story of the Good Samaritan, she asked her class of four and five-year-olds, if you saw a person lying on the roadside, wounded and bleeding and, and with bruises, what would you do? A little girl in the back of the class raised her hand and the teacher called on her. Child, what would you do if you saw a person lying on the roadside, wounded and bleeding, beaten up with bruises? The little girl replied, Teacher, I think I'd throw up. The reaction of this girl pretty much encapsulates our culture today. We're so busy with the world in which we live that our genuine care for others and the compassion for those in need are severely lacking. And yet, the world looks through the lenses of our actions and it looks through the lenses of how we care for one another to assess the life of a Christian, to assess whether Christianity is something they want to pursue and discover more of. We often say actions speak louder than words. And, there, and, and, and this phrase is no more true than when it is exhibited in how we care for one another. As we continue our sermon series entitled Own Up, A Call for Personal Responsibility, we come this morning to our discussion on the responsibility to care. Our responsibility to care. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 5 as we take a look at this morning at verses 1 to 4. As you know, we have been studying the book of 1 Peter these many weeks, looking verse by verse, and we are now at chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 4. Next week, we will conclude our expositional study in the book of 1 Peter, and the following week, we will begin a new sermon series. 1 Peter chapter 5, as we take a look to see what the Bible says about our responsibility to care for one another. Look at verse 1. Peter writes these words. The elders who are among you, I exhort. I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Uh, Peter begins by addressing specifically the readers who are elders, who are leaders of the church. Those who are reading this letter, even today, he is calling attention to those who are in spiritual authority. And it is important because of what Peter is going to talk about. It is important to address those on top because change must come from the top down. You see, the biblical approach to change and culture change is a top-down approach. 
Change in the Bible does not come from the bottom up. The responsibility, the onus, the focus begins at the top from leaders who have to exemplify and model the principles that Peter will talk about. And that's why leaders, especially spiritual leaders, are held to a higher standard and expectation by the Lord and by the world. And it goes without saying, we, all of us who are perhaps called leaders, and you may not think of yourself as one, and yet you are one who is to lead the world to Jesus Christ, and so you fit generally what is being addressed. It goes without saying that all of us in our testimonies as leaders to this world is held to a very high standard. And the perception of others towards us, whether fair or not, will be held to a higher standard than what is normative in this world. Because we carry the title Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. Now we have the freedom to do many things in Christ. And yet the Bible tells us very clearly that not all things are beneficial. And that is the very nature of being a leader. That is the very nature of being one who follows Jesus Christ that there will be a great expectation that is demanded of us. And that's why Peter, in verse 1, addresses this to the elders first. Because elders are to do what is right, even at great personal cost to them. I remember the story of an Eastern queen who often spoke on the subject of sacrificial love. But her own child, the boy, a few years old, lay sick with the black plague, and he was dying. The mother could not come close and had to stay off in a distance, forbidden by the physicians to approach her own child, lest she would contract the plague and also perish. As she stood often, heartbreaking, looking upon her child, the little eyes of one turned towards her often with tain, tear-strained face. Here were the loving eyes of one who imploringly looked upon her, wondering why so many times before when he needed her, the mother would come to his embrace and kiss her and hug her. And yet, her own child now would often reach his hand out and in his childish voice cry out, kiss me mama, kiss me mama. The doctors had forbidden it and so she would hesitate and yet her heart yearned for this little one who suffered her very own. And again, the voice of her boy entreats her, kiss me mama, kiss me. What does she care about the doctor's instructions now? These were the last requests of her dying boy. And she clasped her own heart and went to her child to give him the kisses that he so wanted, putting into practice the subject she had often talked about, sacrificial love. You see, my friends, leaders do the right thing even at great personal cost to them. It is something the Scriptures call all of us 
to follow and emulate. Peter will say in verse 1, I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Peter identifies himself as one who is also a fellow elder. And why does he do that? He does this to say that he is both qualified to say what he is about to say, but he's also telling those who are reading this letter that he is speaking to himself. He is one of them. He is one of them. And he holds himself to the same standard with what he will tell us in verse 2. You know, it's so easy to give instructions to others and how they are to live when you yourself are not living it out. Peter is saying, I am qualified to say what I'm about to say, and yet I'm also one of you, and so I'm held to the same standard. He says, not only am I a fellow elder, but I'm also one who witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I saw how he suffered, and I too have suffered for his sake. Jesus firsthand showed Peter as one of the twelve what servant leadership looked like. And Christ exemplified it throughout his life from the care of those who needed him to his washing of his disciples' feet while they were arguing who would be number one to voluntarily dying on the cross on behalf of those who did not deserve it. Peter saw as an eyewitness to those things and it so marked his life that he would follow in the footsteps of Christ as he told us and the readers. And therefore he implored those who were reading this letter to imitate him as he imitated Christ. What is this charge that he has for us? Look at verse 2. Peter writes, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. In the first part of verse 2, Peter gives this charge. It's not something we haven't heard of before. It is a charge to shepherd the people of God, especially those specifically in this context, to those with whom you have spiritual responsibility over. Pastors to his parishioners, fathers to their families, employers to their employees. In fact, the word shepherd here means in the Greek, poimonete, which has the idea not only to tend to them, but includes the idea of feeding them, caring for them, leading them, guiding them, protecting them, to care for their entire being, every aspect of it. This certainly is a heavy responsibility. You see, Peter was charging all of us as Christians to care for others and a care that makes a difference. To care for others to make a difference. And that is the charge if you're taking notes. This is the responsibility all of us are called to do. A responsibility to care for others to make a difference in their lives. And when he says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. When he says to serve as overseers, it has the same idea as being an elder over them. And he brings it from an animal illustration to show the type of responsibility we have over people to care for their spiritual and physical needs. Care for them. Take care of others. To make a difference in their life. This is not a prefunctory care of them. 
But it is a care that is so deep in every aspect of their life that it makes a difference. Makes a difference. And that is the biblical care we are talking about. And that is a responsibility for all of us. I came across a Peanuts cartoon that illustrated this point. In this Peanut cartoon, uh, there was in that first frame Snoopy sitting on top of his doghouse. It was in the middle of a snowstorm, and he is shivering. As, as Snoopy, the dog, is shivering out in the cold, Linus and Snoopy's owner, Charlie Brown, happen to walk by there in the warmth of their winter coat. And they see in this next frame Snoopy shivering in the snowstorm and in his present condition. And as they walk by Snoopy, they say to one another, Snoopy seems to be in distress. Let's go cheer him up. And so the next frame is they have themselves going back to Snoopy and Charlie Brown telling his dog, Snoopy, be of good cheer. And then the next panel has them walking away, leaving Snoopy in the same condition they found him, yet they were satisfied with each other, telling him, we have done a good thing. We have cheered him up. Somehow we've gotten the notion in this generation that if we say a nice word to someone, we've already cared for them. If we say, I sympathize with you, that is somehow the care that the Bible expects us to portray. But the biblical idea of care is a care that makes a difference. And therein lies our responsibility. A care that is so deep and affects so many aspects of that person's life that it makes a difference. You know, if shepherds only said to their sheep, Sheep, be happy. Sheep, I love you. I know you by name. And then just stands there. You know what happens to the sheep? The sheep without action will die. That's not a care that makes much of a difference. And yet a shepherd doesn't need to say anything to one's sheep. But if a shepherd wants his sheep to thrive, with action he protects the sheep from wolves and bears. He leads them and walks with them to a grazing land. Interestingly enough, if you go through the Gospels, when Jesus Christ is talked about as the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the true shepherd, when Jesus speaks about parables and uses the examples of sheep and shepherd, do you know one thing that's missing? Whenever in the gospel it talks about shepherds and sheep, the shepherd doesn't say anything. Do you notice that? But what is portrayed in the gospel about the shepherd is that he's doing something. He's leading them to green grass. He is off wandering, looking for the one who has left the 99. No words of the shepherd, only the action. And we see that in the action of the good shepherd who gave his life for us. You can tell someone you love them all you want. Spouses do that all the time. Honey, I love you. 
And then that spouse has a question mark because the actions don't correlate with the words. The charge of Peter. Care for others so deeply through your actions that it makes a difference in their lives. As we are charged with this action... There are three attitudes that must accompany this action. Look at the second part of verse 2 all the way to verse 3. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseer. Note this. Not by compulsion, but willingly. The first attitude that accompanies a care that makes a difference is an attitude of willingness. And so that's number one if you're taking notes. A care that is willing. It is our responsibility to care for others, especially incumbent upon the leaders from the top down. And yet this care must not be out of compulsion, the Bible says, but is to be done willingly. And I've said it many times. There is a difference between having to do something and willing and wanting to do it. When someone is willing to do something, they make themselves available There's a difference between receiving help from one who is willing rather than one who is under compulsion. That's why this church here at GCCP would rather ask men and women who have a willing heart to serve God in a role that they may not be fully equipped to handle than one who is fully capable but is unwilling to serve. I've been asked many times privately, Pastor, why did you invite that person to sing? Why did you allow that person to sing? Why did you allow that person to serve in this capacity? They don't know what they're doing. They're not very good. And my answer to them always is this. But they are willing to serve. They are willing. And I don't say this, but in my heart, I wish I can. I want to answer back to them. And you are not. I know sometimes in our culture, we are waiting for someone to ask us to do something. Because when someone asks us to do something, it makes us feel better. I've been asked by the pastor, I've been asked by the church to fill this role, to fill this responsibility. And so it makes us feel important. It makes us feel needed. If they don't ask, then I'm not going to do anything. And we may think that that is part of our culture. We don't want to push ourselves up front. But you know what? That is not biblical. The biblical concept of service and care is one who makes themselves available through their willingness to serve. Don't beat around the bush. Make yourselves available. Show initiative. Show a willingness to serve and care for one another. You see, a heart that cares for others willingly makes a difference in the lives who are the recipients of it. And you see this played out in restaurants that you go to every day. You know, with the advent of the service charge... The waiter or the serve staff, they don't have to try to impress you because however they serve you, they will get a tip from the service charge. 
But you know those men and those women who are servers and waiters. You know those who, who don't do it for the tip. They just love to serve. They, they, they're just so willing. And you know these men and women. The motivation is to please you. And how does that make you feel? It makes you feel great. It makes you feel like the star. But then you also know those type of servers who are just simply there because they have to be there. And, and you try to call them and they pretend not to see you. And you're basically waving with your hands and they pretend still not to see you. You know those type of people. And instead of having a wonderful restaurant experience, it makes you feel so angry and bitter. That is what happens when you are the recipient of care from one who is obligated to do it out of compulsion versus one who is serving you and caring for you out of a willingness of heart. I remember going on a date with Cindy a few years back at a fine dining restaurant. And the waiter was especially wonderful pulling out the chair for her as uh, she would get up, pushing it back in as she would sit down, putting on the napkin whenever it fell from her lap, uh, showing her to the CR by not simply pointing to the restroom, but by actually walking her there. Throughout the night, asked how everything was, asked how our day was going, asked if we needed anything. By the end of this fine service, my wife remarks to me, Steve, why can't you be more like the waiter? <laughs> there is something that strikes a chord in the hearts of men and women when they have received the care and the concern of one who has willingly given it out. And so it is with any profession, so it is with our spiritual leaders, so it is with those in the world who are watching us and the recipients of our own care. When we portray care to one another, do we do so willingly? The second attitude that accompanies this action is also found at the end of verse 2. Look with me. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseer, not by compulsion but willingly. And here it is. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Paul then, Peter then talks about the second attitude that should define our responsibility of care that makes a difference. And it is one that is a care of pure motive. And that's number two if you're taking notes. A care that is pure in motive. When we show care, it should not be for any social or financial gain that we benefit from but because we have a pure motive to serve another, to, to want to share Christ with someone else. This type of care and concern is not what I can get out of something, but what I can give to someone else. You see, this is the core essence of genuine care that the Bible talks about. And my friends, people can sense if they are the recipients of care from you, if you are trying to get something from them, or if you're doing it out of a pure motive. People know. People can see. When you show care, make sure that your help is out of the purity of your heart. As you know, I was in Davao recently, this past week, to speak at a Mindanao conference. 
In the busyness of the schedule, I was able to find three hours of free time uh, to go and uh, alone by myself to Samal Island, which I heard was very beautiful. And so I excused myself for three hours to take a taxi to go to the port, which after a 15-minute pump boat ride took me to beautiful Samal Island. Uh, I needed some time away to be by myself. Uh, and so I enjoyed being by myself. It was hot, uh, warmer than here. And the water was cool. It was beautiful. It was clean. And I wanted to swim in the beach, in the ocean. Now, it's great to be alone for some peace and quiet. But then as I was about to swim in the ocean, I realized one of the drawbacks of being alone. There was no one to watch my things on the beach so that I could fully enjoy myself in the ocean. And so it was very difficult I could not stray too far away from the shore uh, because I had to make sure that I was close enough in case anyone wanted to grab my backpack. I could still run and try to chase them down. My phone was there. My wallet was there. Uh, I had to keep my back turned away from the ocean and towards the beach because I wanted to make sure that I had my eyes on those things. I could not enjoy really the fish that were there. And so it was a very difficult uh, way to experience and to enjoy this uh, beautiful beach. I think one of the guards uh, who were patrolling uh, this area saw my stress. And as I uh, went back to my belongings to dry myself off to take a call, he came and approached me and he said, sir, don't worry. Uh, Enjoy your swim. Your things will be okay. I will watch your things. You know, there's some skepticism when someone comes up to you and says something like that. Um, And then he said these words. He said, sir, don't worry. Here in Mindanao, we don't take things. We take people. (laughs) This is where you put the hashtag funny, not funny. I know he was attempting to, uh, to make me feel... Uh, confident that he will do what he needs to do. And I said, well, Lord, here it is. Let's test this principle out because I know he, he came out of the goodness of his heart. And sure enough, sure enough, I was able to enjoy a wonderful hour, swim in the beautiful ocean, and my things were all safe and sound. I like that line. Here we don't take things, we take people. When you are the recipient of care from a heart that is pure, not expecting anything like this guard did not expect anything, and I did not give him anything. It is a care that makes a difference. And so it is, as we live out this life, when we care for one another with a pure heart, it is not so that they will accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. It is not so that we can gain another church member. It is not so that we can gain influence in the church. It is not so that our groups will get bigger. It is only so that we can reflect and highlight Jesus Christ in our life. That is all, nothing more, nothing less. You see, the responsibility of care And a care that is pure in motive gives us a glimpse into our own hearts to see the motivation of why we do what we do. God gives us the responsibility of care to one another because it is a litmus test 
to look into our hearts to, to see where our motivation comes from. Recently came across an article in Christianity Today written by Dick Peterson. It tells of his wife, Elizabeth. Elizabeth was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis MS, and he knew many challenges awaited his family. And as he writes, he admits that he didn't know that in spite of the difficulties, he would learn so many lessons along the way about love, about service, about care in the name of Christ. And he writes this. As Elizabeth moved from cane to walker to electric scooter and finally to a powered wheelchair, then loss of her use of her right hand, I had to adjust my life to fit her needs. We were both devout Christians. We both walked with God and we prayed day and night that God would work a miracle in her life, that God would heal her from MS. We had our families pray with us. We had our church family pray with us. We agonized before God that one day Elizabeth can again use her hands. Dick would write, Is this what God meant when he taught his disciples to serve? When he washed their feet? Did he look 2,000 years into the future and see me washing my wife's clothes and helping her onto the shower seat to bathe her? Did it really take my wife to get MS to teach me compassion, God? God, why? God's healing can be sneaky, he writes. We pray that Elizabeth would resume her old life and yet God wants her to assume a new life. We prayed long for change on her outside, and yet God desired for change in the inside. We prayed for what we want, yet God answered with what He knows we need. And God has made me question whom it is I love. Peterson writes, When I pray for healing, is it for Elizabeth? Or is it for me? When I pray for healing, is it because her healing would make my life so much easier? When I read that, I stopped. Right into my heart. When we pray for healing, do we pray for that person? Or do we pray for that person to be well so that my life will be more convenienced? And I challenge God, Peterson writes, aren't you the God who heals? And I love Elizabeth. I want her well. But in the back of my mind, Peterson admits, I know I always wanted her healed for my own sake and my own convenience. And so God did not heal her. You see, the responsibility to care goes so much deeper than the recipient of that care. But it goes to the very person who exhibits that pure motive of care because it questions the motivation of why we help others and what we pray. Ask yourself, what is the motive of why I pray what I pray? What is the motivation of 
why I do what I do. Verse 3. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. Verse 3. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Peter gives in verse 3 the third attitude that accompanies a care that makes a difference. It is a care, number three, if you're taking notes, that is modeled personally. A care that is modeled personally. Verse 3, Peter says that we should not have a mindset of one who is a leader, who domineers, who towers over someone who is weak, as if a strong person dominates the weak. But instead, highlight this in your Bible, being examples to the flock, serve as a model for the people to see and follow. You must live it out before you can give it out. Spiritual leadership does not command someone else to do something. Spiritual leadership looks at the person and says, am I doing it? so that I can model it to someone else. Before you can demand that people give you respect, are you doing something that asks and requests for that respect? If you demand from others care, are you yourself giving care? If you demand of your children to respect others, do you respect others as well? We cannot command care for someone. We model it. We exemplify it. Because people are watching. They are watching us as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. Are we modeling the care that the Bible talks about and the care that we say we give? I like this humorous story. I came across of U.S. President Calvin Coolidge. Coolidge uh, had invited some friends from Vermont to dine in the White House. But his friends from Vermont worried, because they were from the country, that their etiquette and table manners may not hold up or match the etiquette in the prim and proper setting that is the White House. They were from the country, they thought. And so they decided that they would do everything their host, President Coolidge, did. So everything went well. As they were invited to a fine dinner at the White House, as Coolidge used certain utensils for certain parts of the meal, they watched him closely and intently, and they followed everything that he did, using utensils from the outside in, so on and so forth. Everything went well until the end when coffee was served at the end of dinner. To their surprise, President Coolidge poured his coffee not into the cup, but onto the saucer. The guests, his friends, thinking it was White House tradition to do so, also poured their coffee not into the cup, but into the saucer. Then the president added sugar and cream to the saucer. The visitors wasn't sure what he was doing, but 
They thought this was White House protocol, so they too also added sugar and cream to the coffee that was in the saucer. Then President Coolidge leaned over and placed the saucer on the floor for his cat. Then they realized, oops, we weren't doing what we needed to do. If you are in a position of influence, and all of you are to an extent, people will follow you both positively and negatively. What example are you modeling? What example are you setting? Parents, your children are looking at how you treat others. Parents, your children are looking at how you treat your own parents for how they are to treat you. How are you modeling that? Children, students, if your parents are not believers, how you talk to them, you are modeling how a Christian talks. How you honor them, how you respect them, you're modeling the principles of the scriptures. Christian leaders, Bible study folks, what assumptions are the world making about you? based on your actions and the way you live your life. Do you show forth a care that makes a difference in this world that you yourself are following? Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. The Bible says when Jesus Christ comes again, the good shepherd, the true shepherd, he will faithfully reward the under shepherds, those who have cared for one another. And I love this last verse. It it, it gives us an assurance that the reward we are living for in this life is a reward that is eternal and priceless. You see, a biblical care that we show forth others is a care that will cost us something. It is a care that, it, that hurts. And so as we count the cost, whether we will take on the responsibility to care for others in such a deep way that it makes a difference in their life, we should do so with the realization that when we see our Lord, He will exchange the temporary cost of our care to give us something that is priceless. And when he appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Is that an encouragement to you? I hope it is. Remember when you and I live our lives to really show forth care that makes a difference in the lives of others a life-transforming care. Make sure that it is impugned with an action of the heart that is willing, that is pure in motive, and that is personally modeled by yourself. So go out and care for the world. That is the charge, and it begins from the top and works its way down. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, modeled this care in our own lives. He willingly went to the cross volitionally by his own accord. 
he went to the cross not for his own glory, but in the purity of his motive, he who knew no sin became sin for us because he wanted to save people who were undeserving. There's no more pure motive than that. And throughout his life to the very end, he modeled a care that was sacrificial. And even today, we are recipients of that sacrificial love and care. How much more motivation do we need to go out to this world and share with them that care that we have received to others? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is a reminder even to me that you call all of us, especially as leaders from the top down, to be men and women who care, not only through words, but through action. A care that runs so deep that the recipients experience life change. May you use us as vessels for the lives, may you use us as vessels to transform the lives of others through how we show care to one another and to them. May you use this church to be a church noted for its care and concern. And may it be, Lord, that as we are the recipients of your unconditional care and love, that we will be motivated after hearing your word to go forth and take on the challenge and the charge of the scriptures to shepherd others. Bless all those who have come this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.